Lightning. Fire. Power of God or something. He died for our sins. That shall be his undoing. Hey, 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 hey! What is going on here? Shocking. Positively shocking. That's just funny. <laughs> ah, fuck you. I love it when a plan comes together. Hey, come here. Hi. God damn it. Okay, now, uh, if by any chance I get, like, flustered, you know, when I'm hurling through space, and, and, and I pull the red one first. Oh, then you're going to wind up looking like a well-done chili burger. They're going to have to shovel you into a coffin. Fine. You bastard! Drop dead! I don't do requests. You remember one thing. If you screw up just this much, you'll be flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. I'm Larry. Fuck off, Larry. It's funny because I just live out here, you know, on near Lake Erie. I live out on uh, the Grand River where where it runs into Lake Erie, like I said, a bit north of Buffalo and Niagara Falls. And I haven't done that much in Canada, so it's it's kind of nice when I can get to connect with people that know a bit of my history. It's kind of fun. Um, to be honest with you, that first, that first record was... Very, it's still very special to me. Like I've listened to the shit out of it. Like I, I, I wore that cassette out twice. I bought it twice on cassette when I was growing up. How did you hear about it back then? Do you remember? So I worked at a. Do you remember Turtles? It was a music store. Was I don't know. A bar? Oh, music store. Okay. Yep. And I worked there, and it came in, and you know, it's all featuring Vivian Campbell. And honestly, yeah. I bought it just because I just wanted it. And I, I, I was, I remember, I'll t- to be, I'll t- actually, to be specific with you, I remember reading something about it in like Guitar World. And right, right. And there you go. Yeah, I mean, it was. It, it, so many people will would say the same thing, right? Of course, Vivian, obviously coming out of Dio and White Snake. Sure. Um, I mean, he was in, he was still a White Snake when he when he joined our band, basically, right? So he was producing our demos and and loved the music and asked if he could join River Dogs. And you know, we were like, yeah, sure. We thought he was a great guitar player. He's one of the best, you know, to this day. But also, just a beautiful person. Right. Such a great guy. We were like, we'd love to play with this guy. Right. So yeah, and the, but so many people obviously. Uh, heard about us through like the guitar magazines that that kind of thing or else record stores yeah so a little of both for me but yeah yeah and um i i'm sorry to lead with that but i just i just wanted you to know how much i love your vocals and i love the record and and i'm I'm a fan of 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 the band so um oh man I, i appreciate hearing it have you heard all of uh the new truth Yes, it's amazing, and I'm excited to talk with okay. you about that today. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So perfect. So for cross country driver, how how did that come to be for you? You know, it was it was as the pandemic, as the as some businesses were getting shut down. Um, I had talked to James Harper before that, and he's from Boston, uh, the city, not the band. 
Right. <laughs> and uh, he, had, he had reached out to me, I think, before anything was locked down or anything, but just, you know, just a guy said, hey, uh, do you want to maybe write a couple songs? Could I send you a couple song ideas? And I was just, you know, I, I something about the conversation he and I had and the bands that he liked, you know, and the bands that we were passionate about, um, made me say, yeah, send me your uh, song ideas. And I never do that, but I did, you know, just a random person. And I said, yeah, I'd love to hear, hear what you're doing. And he just sent me some ideas, mostly on the, just acoustic guitar. And, you know, we, were, we had these conversations about Badlands and the Allman Brothers and the Archangels, uh, King's X. You know, we, we just, there was bands that we both really loved. And he sent me some acoustic guitar riffs and gave me the freedom to rearrange as I saw fit, you know? And we did a song and we really liked it. And that was uh, a song called Real Love. We were like, yeah, this, this sounds like something. Let's, let's keep going. Never thinking we would make a full album when we started. Never imagining that or that we would get a record deal. Not, uh, not on our radar at all. Right. Because, of course, as, as things started to close up or, you know, lock down or quiet down, and I realized I wasn't going to have people in my studio, then I was like, well, this is a great kind of pandemic project, you know, and, and it just turned out better than I would have even imagined. I thought we had a good starting point, but I, I loved where, where we ended up. You've got some incredible guests on this record. Um, how did you get some of these guests? I mean, there's this. It's there's a plethora of amazing talent on this record besides yourself. Oh well, thank you. Well, you know, we we didn't want to make like kind of a. We really didn't set out to make like a, you know, all star band project or something or, the, or whatever. You know, uh, and I have respect for people that make. You know, they kind of create a band for an album or whatever, and I have lots of respect for that but that wasn't what we intended to do but then as we got going um you know we wanted to get get some input and we sent a couple of the first songs to nick brophy from river dogs who's a great mixer and we asked him if he'd be interested in mixing awesome and he said he would yeah so then it just kind of built from there then it got to like you know a song where um you know, one of us said, I, it might have been me on the, the first time it happened, was, God, wouldn't it be great to get Greg Chasen, the bass player from Badlands, on this song? Right. Because we didn't have a bass player, you know? I was playing some reference bass, and, you know, and it was like, wouldn't that be great? And, and that's when we really kind of, then we really started moving forward with, who would be great on this song, you know? Right. And so I, I, I knew Greg Chason, um, you know, obviously, I know Vivian Campbell from River Dogs, who played and sang on a song with us. Um, and then James knew like how to get a hold of um, of Doug Pinnock, kind of through a friend of a friend. Very and cool. He knew he knew Mike Mangini. Amazing. And, <laughs> you know, so it was, and you know what? Like, it wasn't about we didn't have any. We didn't have any like budget we didn't have a record company or a management company backing what we were doing and we just asked people like hey do you would you want to play on this and everyone said yes everyone that we asked said yes 
and put their hearts into it and sent us tracks. Um, I mean, we didn't really start adding people until we had started getting some drums happening. Uh-huh. Because um, up to that point, it was the songs were kind of leaning more towards <laughs> kind of a, acoustic rock or something, you know, right. acoustic Americana rock or something. But then I asked my son, who's a great drummer, to, yes, he to is. come in and do some. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, I can't really take credit for it, but uh, <laughs> it's all him. But um, I asked him to come and help me arrange some of the songs. Because um, James would send me ideas and riffs, and I, could, I, would, I got to choose, oh, this could be a chorus or this could be a verse, because I'm inspired to sing it that way. And James just said, yeah, man, total creative freedom, go for it. And then I asked Xander to come in and just rock out with me in my studio. And that's how we arranged the songs. But it started getting heavier then. Because he's a he's a beautiful like subtle drummer, but he, he he loves to rock out, and it just took the whole project heavier, you know. And then it was like, well, let's get man Mike, let's ask Mike Mangini to play in a couple songs, and you know, it just kind of grew from there. So, uh, ah, we're so fortunate, honestly, the way the thing came together. Uh, I feel so fortunate that that we got to the this end point that we're at now. It's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. What about Vivian? Did y'all have y'all just stayed in touch throughout the years? Did you just reach out to him like, hey, do you want to jam on this or always. We uh, Vivian and Mark Danzeisen, the drummer from River Dogs, and Nick Brophy and I, we have always been in touch. Awesome. Uh, since you know, since since we started playing gigs backing that first album, the debut. Um we have stayed in touch always. And, you know, we've done a couple, we did a record. I don't even know some of the years they got released, to be honest. Like, well, we did the one for Frontiers in 2017. It's a great album. Before that, we did one. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love that record. I feel really good about that record. And um, I think a really interesting thing is, like on the first, on the debut album, I was the main songwriter. And on California... We didn't talk about how we were going to write the songs, uh-huh. but we just got together and then we wrote them together, which we had not done before. Those songs on, on California were written as a band in a room jamming, and that's how we wrote those songs. Awesome. Um, yeah, so it was a really different way of writing, but we very organically did it, and it went so effortlessly. Um, and Xander and I wrote... Um, American Dream and The Revolution Starts Tonight, the, the first two songs in the album. Nice. I just wanted to bring something to the first songwriting meeting, you know, with our session with the band, but, you know, we didn't have any problem writing songs with the four of us in a room starting from nothing, you know, starting from Viv, me going, I'm making coffee and I hear Viv noodling on his guitar, I go, what's that? <laughs> he goes, oh, I don't know, just something, I, I had this on my phone, I had saved it, and I was like, what the hell? What is that? It's so cool. And then we wrote six songs in a week doing that. And then we got together again and wrote another six songs in a week. So, wow. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm really fortunate. The people that I get to play with are, are just, you know, natural, wonderfully creative people who give each other respect and creative freedom. And man, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, 
when to to ask you this because I was just curious. I hope it's okay if I ask you a couple of River Dogs questions. Um, Absolutely. So. For the first album, how did, how did all that come to be? Did you did did you did you guys run in, in into each other and then into Vivian or, or how how did all how did that first record come to be? Because it's such a it's a you know, it's one of my favorites. I still I, I bought an expensive like rock candy reissue CD oh, of it a few yeah, years ago. That, they did such a good job on that, you know, and yeah. full participation, all the updated interviews and all that. That was such a great package. Um, but you know what happened was I, um, I, I was living in Orange County and, um, you know, with, uh, in the same town as Nick Brophy and we had kind of like, you know, we had, we had been in LA a couple of times and, you know, really tried to kind of get something going. Things didn't quite work out with a couple bands and we kind of retreated to Orange County. And then one day I got a call, and it was um, our one of our old drummers from one of our previous bands, and he was playing with this band called River Dogs in L.A. And they had management, and they had some money behind them, and Vivian Campbell was producing their demos. And they needed a singer and a bass player, and I said, well, let me come check it out. And I said, can I bring Nick, who was a guitar player, but... They needed a bass player, right? And we went. We went and met the manager, and he was awesome. He was great. He worked for Yamaha, and had like connections, and and they were gonna, you know, they were putting us on salary, and like they were really serious about this thing. Neat. And like I said, they had Vivian Campbell, you know, in line to produce the demos. And yeah, we got together. We started writing songs. Vivian started coming to band rehearsals to hear like what we were working on and make some suggestions. Next thing you know, he's picking up a guitar. What if you went to like D minor here, you know? And then he's then the next thing you know, he's singing a third harmony, you know, with uh, with Nick. <laughs> you know, and now we're doing three part harmonies, and you know, we're drinking coffee, and then we were recording in Steve Vai's studio. You know, we were just becoming buds. We were becoming lifelong friends, which we still are. It's amazing. And uh, that's kind of. And then, literally, he was heading to Salt Lake City to go make the next White Snake record. After uh, I don't know, was that slip of the tongue or it was the big, big White Snake record? And he was in the touring band, right? But he had. He, oh, so that was the the self titled one. I. Yes, so yeah. So yeah, he would have been going to record "Slip of the Tongue," which I think was all what would come to be. And you probably know more about. You've got all kinds of inside goodies here. I I think Steve Vai did all the guitar work on that album. Oh, that could be. And I don't have all the inside goodies. I, I probably <laughs> did, but I've forgotten them all. <laughs> you know? I I can't even, I can't even remember some of the stuff where I was there. Like sometimes people. Some of my old bandmates from San Diego will say, "Remember that time in Palm Spring when you you let the air out of the the, the gig promoter's tires and you were naked on the balcony and we locked you outside the hotel?" I was like, "What?" Like I don't remember. I don't remember some stuff at all. But uh, I mean, honestly, I, I honestly have no memory of some things for better or worse. Maybe right. for better, but um, but anyway, yeah, but. But Viv was heading back to to Salt Lake City to go record with, with or maybe to write with Covered 
Dale and, and the band yeah. at that time. I think I think it was Rudy and Tommy and yeah. And um, the night before he was going to leave, he called me up. He goes, "Hey, I, I want to talk to you about joining your band." And I was like, "What the fuck? <laughs> well, can I say that? Can I say bad words?" Oh, absolutely, please. Okay, okay. Um, I, but I was like, "Wait a minute, what?" Like I knew this, you know. I knew the Dio stuff. You know, I was a huge Dio fan, and I, I knew Vivian's work, and I knew what he was doing, and I knew where he was heading with White Snake, and I was like. You know, like I said, we were we were on salary with River Dogs, but we were like, you know, we were playing little clubs. We had we had no industry stuff on the go yet, right. except our own manager. Right. We didn't have a record deal or, or anything like that. So I was so shocked. But he loved the songs, you know, and and he loved Nick and he loved me, and you know, and we loved him and. Ultimately, it did make sense. I was so shocked at first, but it it totally makes made sense. And he said, "Hey, like, I got a house in the Hollywood Hills. I got cars. I I can't do this for like five years." If, he goes, "If if, I, if I'm not making some income from this, you know, a year and a half from now, I can't remember what the limit was." He goes, I, "I'll have to do something else." And we totally understood. He was living in a different lifestyle and different world of than course. we were, right? Yeah. So we totally understood that, and uh, you know, and then when he did need to leave, we completely understood. And then you know, he called me a couple months later and said, "I've been offered a gig with Def Leppard." This was after the Shadow King stuff, you know, and and uh, yeah, I didn't want to know what I thought about him joining Def Leppard. I was like, "Well, I, I think it's a good idea," you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I think it's worked out pretty well, but um, yeah, so that's how. Vivian came into our little, you know, unsigned band. It's funny when I say it now because it doesn't sound like a real story, but that's what happened. I don't know. Are there any other rocks, full-on rock stars that have joined like an unknown band? I don't know. Like, Not that I know of. I don't even. I don't know any other examples of that. But he bloody did it, and I'm so grateful because, of course, uh, it 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 launched my my career and and. And River Dogs had some had some success in Europe, and and my whole career, my entire career since then, or ninety percent of it, has been based in Europe. Wow! And built off of that debut album. Uh, it's and fucking awesome. There, that record's so good. Yeah. Well, you know what? What what you're saying is that really good, really good music does matter. You know. I think that's kind of what you're saying. Absolutely. Anyway, well, that's what, how I interpret it. And I agree with that 100%. And it's driven me ever since. It's like I'm just striving for quality, you know? Sure. I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're going to think is quality for me, but I know what I think is quality, and I strive for it. And I think it's worth something. It's, it, I, I'm not rich. I mean, I'm relatively rich. I have a house and a car, but... You know, I don't have, I don't have money in the bank. Like I honestly don't. You know, and my wife and I are happy, and my kids are happy and healthy, and I feel like I've my little career path has been brilliant. <laughs> I just hated when the record came out. It felt like, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about this, but it felt like 
this amazing record. I get my hands on it, and then grunge hits, and it it kind of got swept. It got swept with. I mean, it did. You know, it it, it felt like it got it, to me. I, mean, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. It felt like the album kind of got, you know, pushed away because it's like, oh, we've got to promote, you know, all this Seattle stuff. So, well, you nailed it, my friend. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. This this to me is the, in a is the example of exactly what you're saying. Like you freaking nailed it. So we had our first single out, which was Toy Soldier. Love it. It was like, you know, one of the most most added songs on radio, on uh, whatever our genre would have been then. I don't know what it was called then. Uh, I can't remember what charts that was, but you know, you know, whatever, basic rock radio. Sure. Let's just say, or, or adult radio. I can't remember what it was. But anyway, we had, you know, a song that got added on a lot of radio stations and we had DJs that loved us and programmers that loved our sound and we got such great industry response it was amazing and I remember we were play- we were playing a show we were getting ready to release our next single and I can't remember now if it actually got released that was I believe I think it got released in Europe but anyway we're getting ready to like release the next single. Right. It might have been the second or the third single. And we had dinner with the new president of our label, uh, this guy, uh, Richard Griffiths. And um, he had taken over. We had been signed by, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to blank on his name right now. That's so terrible. The, the gentleman that signed us. Oh, the one that signed so you to brutal. Epic Sony or whatever? Yeah, it was, um, it was, the label was really, um, it was like a boutique label, Epic Associated, it was called. Oh, Tony Martell. Nice. Tony Martell, amazing, amazing guy. Um, he believed in us so strongly. He was the president of Epic Associated. It was like his own boutique label at Epic, you know, just wow. an amazing situation, amazing guy. He, he had had a son who was my age who had passed away from cancer. They had the T.J. Martell Foundation. They raised lots of money. This guy was so great. Wow. He was such a wonderful human. He had such big plans for us. But then he they put someone in above him. When Sony kind of took over, I guess, for CBS, I think it was, yeah. officially. I can't remember how that worked. Um, so this guy was put in above Tony. We go to have dinner with him. We were playing at the um, at the Roxy. We were about to do some shows in California with Burning Tree, and we were we were on top of the world. We were on fire. Like our live show was just blazing. It was getting so good. And we go to dinner somewhere. We're sitting outside. Our manager's there. We're feeling good, you know. We've, we've got offers for tours. Um, our manager was turning down offers for tours. This was our second manager, Larry Mazur. Great guy, by the way. You know, he was waiting for better opportunities. Sure. And Vivian, Vivian said to the new president of the label, so Richard, what, what's going to be the next single? And we're all feeling like we're on our way, boys. You know, this is happening. And he, and Richard Griffith says, there's not going to be a next single. And we were like, wait, what? We're the number three most added or number seven most added song. Like, what do you mean it's not going to be? And he goes, I want you guys to start thinking about your next record. This one's over. 
and we were like, it's still, I could cry or have chills right now because it was so shocking. Right. It was so shocking to hear that. And that was it. They basically pronounced the record was done. He also had signed uh, Pearl Jam. Um, and to be honest, I can't remember what other kind of, some of the more grunge bands. Sure. And, and our thing was done. And then we basically were in limbo for like almost two years trying to get off the label at some point, you know, like, let us go make records. You know, we were playing at the Coconut Teaser in Hollywood on Sunset, you know, every Saturday. We were like the, the feature band every, every Saturday or every other Saturday. Wow. People were interested in us publishing record labels, but we were, we were at, uh, you know, we were, we had a deal with Epic and then our publishing, my publishing was through Sony. So it was like all tied in together. We were kind of stuck. Now, having said all that, I wasn't ready for the big time. You know, I was absolutely, I don't know if I'd be alive because I'm that guy that can't remember all the great stuff I suppose <laughs> did back in the day. <laughs> so I don't know, I, I, I treasure my journey. The journey that got me here today, I can't say I would change anything because I have a great marriage and amazing grown kids. I've toured in Europe with three of them. You That's know what awesome. I mean? Like, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't. But it was still that story. Like what you know, you what you said is exactly what happened. Oh, here's this record. It was ripe. It was ready. And then grunge definitely. It, it was what everybody was looking for. The next thing, right? Well, I, as a as a fan, I wasn't. And it's funny to tell you this. Well, I Rob, hear you. I hear. I. I've had some really interesting interviews I've done with bands that were kind of right there on the cusp and not nearly, yeah. you know, as successful or the musicianship that that you guys had in River Dogs and to watch any band that I liked and cuz it like changed for me overnight and I was not a subscriber of the grunge stuff, and I'll tell you, again, and I'm not trying to, you know, be raunchy. I'm kind of a raunchy kind of guy on my podcast, but I, Dave Grohl is like the most marketed human being on the planet, and that guy acts like he's punk rock, and it's like, that guy's responsible to me for killing off a lot of music that I loved. And, oh, interesting. And, and putting out the fire of a lot of bands that I loved, because... Ironically, right around the early 90s, you know, grunge is hitting. You know what I did? I ran to Dream Theater. I ran to... Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. You know, stuff like... Because I was like, this is this is not for me, you know. And I thought it was funny, though, that... And again, it's, it's nothing really about Kurt Cobain, but I think it's so funny that Dave Grohl is so commercial, but yet he acts like he's this punk rock guy. And it's like, you're not. You were marketed like... The biggest band in the world, and you've used that to you know good for you. You made it you know work in your advantage, but you also put out a fire of a lot of bands that I loved. So, well, you know, I think uh, I can't argue with what you're saying, and 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 I also I have to admire people that have found a way. Sure, uh, sure. Whatever their hook is, you know, oh, I'm, I'm a punk rocker at heart, or whatever it is. 
you know, I'm sure I've done my, my share of that. You know, what's my niche? When I came to Canada, I was like the, the sensitive singer-songwriter with a cowboy hat and tattoos and long hair. And that was really different here then. Sure. You know, so I, I had like immediate success playing like music festivals and stuff. But, um, but also, and, and I know people, I'm sure you do as well, examples of like bands that never got to even make a record. Or they made one and it got shelled, yep, you know? absolutely. As much talent as anybody you and I might be able to imagine. <clears throat> and they never even... I at least got to, like, get in the game, you know? Right. And, and at a very, in some ways, at a high level, but just a tiny taste of it, right? So sure. a high level meaning a major label, That's that was the dream for everybody. Sure. All, our, all my competition in um, in Hollywood, you know, that was what everybody was going for. Right. And I got to do that. I got to do it with someone like Viv who, who opened doors. We got with a label that really believed in us. And yes, it changed. Um, but I, I have built off of that to have this small, you know, I go play in Europe for like 100, 150 people. I've been almost 30 times people bring their kids and their grandkids it's awesome and they can't believe when i bring my grown kids and like it's like a family reunion slash farewell tour every time i go (laughs) it's amazing so uh yeah it doesn't and the other thing is this business like the you got me wound up now this business is not is not for the faint of heart you know it's like you have to be a little bit, I think, a little bit, I'll say, obsessed. You have to be a little bit obsessive. If you're going to keep writing songs when you don't make money from them, and you're going to keep recording when you don't make money from it, mm-hmm. and you're going to keep performing when you're not making much money at all from it, those kind of people, like me, we have the opportunity to just build something. And it's not mainstream, it's not huge, but I've always made a living at it, you know? So... I've got no, I got no room to, to lament anything. I suppose, and besides, like I said, the fact I might be dead if things got differently. So uh, <laughs> grateful. But I hear what you're saying. It was a weird time. That early '90s was like, whoa, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did. I went every direction but the grunge stuff. I just. It just wasn't something I enjoyed. I didn't like the vocals. I didn't like the the musicianship. To me, was not there at all. And you know, obviously, I, I'm reading Guitar World, and it, you know, ironically, two years later, all those bands are in Guitar World. I stopped buying Guitar World. So, you know. <laughs> well, you know, your point. Like, I never bought any of the grunge records either. I I could I could appreciate you know Chris Cornell's voice. Sure. Sure. And, sure. And I really appreciated some of their songs a couple sure. albums in. I was like, holy shit, there's some good stuff. Sure. But I never bought any of them. I never bought Nirvana or, uh, I mean, I don't, I can't even name anymore. I only know the three. Alice in Chains, all that stuff. Yeah, it's all, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Alice in Chains, yeah. And you know what? There was things I liked about each of them, but I never got into that genre. Um, I just didn't. I just, yeah. I, I, I guess it was... I think there's something about, you know, what started out as kind of punk rock, like you said. That's, I think, why people kind of claimed that, because, it, yeah, punk rock, it's three chords, or it's four chords. Sure. It's super simple, rhythm. 
everything, including like Alice in Chains and and uh, Soundgarden and lots of other bands, really started getting pretty, you know, becoming more interesting songwriters. I would say. Right. But I still I, I don't have any of those albums. Yes. Yeah, Maybe that's just me, right. I went deeper. I went deeper into like progress. Like I said, Dream Theater, that Images and Words record. Thank God yeah. for that because it 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 kept me going. You know, I just yeah. just like I can't, I can't do this. You know, I had to go a, another direction. But um, I was going to ask you too, and I'm sorry for all the River Dogs questions. Where was the photo shoot for the for the for the debut record? I, I love the the cover photo. I always thought that was so cool. It's funny because right now I'm I'm in a light snow. I'm just pulling up at my daughter's place. Um, wow, I can barely recognize it because of the snow, actually. Oh, wow. Um, there's a, but it's, it's a light, it's, it's not heavy, heavily snowing, but it's really big flakes. But it, so what, that was out in the, um, what do they call that? It's like the high desert outside of LA. Um, oh my gosh. Not Palmdale, but it's it's out like in what's called the high desert. Uh-huh. It's east of LA, basically, you know? Yeah. And um, we went out to the desert, and it snowed while we were out there. And like, uh-huh. that was so unusual at the time. It's like, it's snowing out here. And we thought, that's probably a good sign. I don't know if it turned out to be one, but, um, but anyway, yeah, we were, I think it was like, Gosh, see, my memory sucks now. Wow, you're asking me hard questions. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, you're not. This is great. Um, it's good for me to use my, my mind sometimes. But I think it was like out towards like, it's it's on the way to like, I think Joshua Tree National Monument, but, but it's just outside of L.A. It's probably an hour outside of L.A. There's like 29 Palms and some of those kind of areas up uh-huh. there. Uh, it's kind of the meth capital of... Uh, of uh, California out there, oh, actually. Yeah, it's very... Uh, uh, it's actually... I think it's... I think when we shot the music video for American Dream for that for that California album, I think that was kind of on the way out there as well. Oh, wow. But, but yeah, it was, it was fun. We got, like, you know, we had... We got to buy... I got to buy new cow... I bought, like... 40-year-old cowboy boots for 270 bucks for that photo shoot. It's awesome. You know, we got to like buy like expensive gloves and stuff and hats that we never even wore, but we had like a budget, and we got to, um, it was kind of fun, you know, just like buy some cool leather gear, some belts and stuff. Yeah. I always loved the photo. It just encapsulated that, that, that record for me. Yeah, that photographer, I think his name's Ethan Johns. Mm-hmm. And he was like a, a fashion photographer, actually, more than like a rock photographer. He did a great and job. We were going for something, yeah, we were going for something different, you know? Well, you did. Um, I mean, the sound was fresh uh, on the record. I can't stress you how much your vocals incredible. The musicianship, obviously, it's incredible. Love the cover photo. Yeah, and y- y'all achieved it. I mean, it, what a perfect package for, for an album. Wow. And thank you. I mean, and, and to be honest, at the at the end of the day, we all felt we had achieved it, what we set out to do. And then, and then, you know, and it was really difficult to make the record. We had to fire our our first producer, Michael Frondelli. Oh wow! And bring in a guy named Jeff Glixman to finish the album, right? Because we just had big problems. And and thirty years later, it was so beautiful. Uh, Michael reached out to each of us in the band. 
and just said, hey man, I was going through a crisis in my life and um, I feel like I really made, you know, made it hard for you guys to make a record and he apologized and all of us were just more than, we welcomed the chance to, to say, man, cheers brother, like we forgive you, you know, and we didn't forgive him as a band or something, but you know, just to say, hey, we've all been through shit and, and caused trouble in relationships and situations and it was hard to make that record, but we all felt that the end result um, was badass. We did. I remember like having a listening party with the label there, you know, and everyone just kind of looking around like, this is really different, isn't it? This is this is something. You know, we felt like we like we had done something, and it was what Vivian heard in us. Like Vivian heard something and thought we had something special, and then he brought his beautiful approach to it and it did become really special so i i'm i'm so grateful to hear you say this you know so many years down the line it's incredible you you're what you're saying is what we thought we did you know and you did and it did make it it did make it really weird when when we were told our record was over it was time to start thinking about the next record and we were like you know only a couple months in like Right. It was quite bizarre, but but then in the long run, you know, then what happens is then Vivian leaves, and then you find out who are your fans, who are your supporters, who are your friends. Right. You know, and then all oh, my my publisher reaches out and says, "Hey, you know, could we give?" They offered me thirty thousand dollars to like share with our drummer Mark and and Nick Brophy, the bass player, because it was just the three of us and we are trying to figure out what we were going to do next. Right. And they reached out to me and said, hey, could we give you like 30 grand, you know, just for for you guys to write some songs. And, you know, like we had so many people then, uh, Len Fagan, who was the, the booking agent at the Coconut Teaser, who again made us like one of their house bands when we, when we didn't, when we were in limbo with the label and our record was over, right. so many people reached out and said, man, we love what you do, and is there anything we can do to support what, what you're going to do next? And, like, I'll never forget. And, some, of course, a bunch of those people I'm still friends with. I still work with them. <laughs> Rob, this is going to hang up. The, the Zoom call is going to end. I can't thank you enough for doing this. Kids, pick up Cross Country Driver, The New Truth, from Frontiers Music on March 17th. Rob, thank you so much. I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I could talk to you for hours. This thing's going to hang up on us. Hey, thank you, brother. Let's talk again, okay? Dude, I would love that. I wish you all the best. This record's incredible. Thank you for all the River Dog stuff. Thank you for your time today, and I wish you and your family the very best. Cheers, my friend. Right back at you. Okay? Cracker Jack timing, Wang. Total concentration. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. I don't know how, but they found me. Rock for Marty! Oh my god. They found me. I don't know how, but they found me. Rock for Marty! Doc, take us out. Ready, good sir. Brought it here to me, I... I'll be quiet.